Amen. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 18. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, feel free to do that with us. Uh, If you don't, don't worry. There's one uh, in the pew in front of you, or it's printed for you in your worship folder. If you flip through, you'll find it. It's also on the screen behind me. And if you're at home, it should be on your screen as well if you're watching from there. Psalm 18, we are in the middle of a series. We're going through the Psalms this summer, trying to figure out how to do life the way the psalmists do life, to do life with the Lord, to do life through theological reflection or what we've called a Godward life. And Psalm 18 is a hallmark of the Psalms. And so we're going to read quite a bit of it, uh, not the whole thing because it's very long, but uh, you'll see there those 1 through 19 and then skip down to 25 through 36 and then finish with verse 46. And so uh, follow along as we read it together, okay? Here's what David sings. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. And then, watch what happens. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, Uh, Verse 14, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and rooted them. And then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And then skipping down to verse 25, he goes on to reflect. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. Verse 30, this God... His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. And then verse 46, the Lord lives. Amen? The Lord lives. One more time. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock, and and exalted be the God of my salvation. 
This is the word of the Lord. Would you say with me, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. What an amazing, what an amazing passage of scripture. Let me ask you a question as we get started this morning. Something I'd like for you to reflect on as we go throughout this time together. What makes you feel safe? What is it in your life, if you did a diagnostic test of your life, what is it that makes you feel safe? What do you look to look to, to feel safe? Psalm 18 has a very specific historical setting. You see it there if you have your Bible out in, in the, um, the, the little introductory bit there before verse 1. But it really comes from 2 Samuel chapter uh, 22. It is... King David's reflection at the end of his life of all that God had done to rescue him from his enemies. David, there in 2 Samuel 22, he looked back on his life with God, and he wrote this psalm. It's recorded there in that chapter, in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, but re-recorded for us here in Psalm 18. Just one piece of advice, if there is something this, that's this lengthy that's reproduced in the Bible two times, guess what? It's pretty important. David looked back on all of the moments when he felt most threatened and vulnerable. And you can think of many of them, hiding in the cave as a fugitive, hunted by King Saul, who was trying to kill him, or all the times he went to battle against his enemies and was outnumbered and outgunned, or when his own son Absalom conspired against him, trying to take his throne. All of the scariest times of his life, he looked back over all of them, and here's what he concluded, and you see it in verse 32. This was kind of his summary statement. He said, God, in all of those times, he equipped me with strength and he made my way blameless. Now, that word is, you know, a translation decision, but really the word there means secure or safe. So here's what David is reflecting. He's saying, I was safe the whole time. When all of those terrible things were happening to me, when all of those enemies were coming against me, I was, I, in fact, looking back now, I realize I didn't know then, but I know now I was safe I was safe the whole time, and that was the lesson. But in David's looking back, there's a lesson for us too, that we can learn how to feel, because we actually are safe with God, even in the moments when life feels the scariest, when there is a real danger, when there's a real threat that's coming against us, we can indeed find ourselves even feeling you know, safe and secure in light of who God is, in light of all God promises. G.K. Chesterton famously said this. He said, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that the dragons can be killed. Psalm 18 teaches us that dragons can be killed. That we don't have to be afraid. That if we learn to shelter in place in God, who is a rock, who is a, look at all these images in verses 1 and 2, a refuge, a fortress, a shield. He is all of those things for those who learn to trust in him and not in themselves, okay? And so there are three things, really, that we see from David here that characterize a person who knows that they are safe with God despite facing real danger. Three things that are true of their lives. They, first, they call upon the Lord in the face of their fear. Because, number two, they believe the truth about God despite their fear. And so, they go through life leaping with God without fear. They call, upon the God, they call upon God in the face of their fear because they believe the truth about God despite their fear. And so, they leap by God through life without fear. That's what David 
is showing us here. And so we want to we want to talk about each of those things as we as we go throughout this text. Okay, first. So the first thing there that characterizes a person who knows that they're safe. They know their dragons are real, but that the dragons can be killed. The first thing that characterizes that person is that they they know they're safe with God despite facing real danger. They call upon the Lord in the face of their fear. They call upon the Lord in the face of their fear. So again, what do you do when you feel unsafe? When you feel unsafe, what starts to happen? What is the reflex action of your life? Something to consider. This song means something very specific for me. Uh, When I was in my early 20s, just starting out in vocational ministry, I was serving as a college pastor at a church in Orlando uh, where I was going to seminary. And I was very new to the pastoral ministry. Ashley and I had been married just over a year, something like that. We bought our first home over there. And uh, a group of students that were in our, our group there and their parents, they decided that they did not like me. And so they were, very, they, they were, they were publicly and privately very, um, gosh, I guess critical is the word, hostile <laughs> would probably be a better description. Um, they called me a false prophet. They went to the senior pastor of the church to try to get me fired. He did not have my back. He would subtweet me from the pulpit all the time. It was bad. It was really bad. I thought I was going to lose my job. Both Ashley and I were having a hard time sleeping. Uh, We were away from family and all alone. And uh, it felt very much like verses 4 and 5 here, if you see see there. I felt encompassed. I felt assailed. I felt entangled. Like I was surrounded and trapped by an enemy that was trying to destroy me. I felt very much in danger. And I don't mean to be so melodramatic, but at the time, at 24, it felt very much like that. And I remember one particular meeting at the church, all of those people that uh, really just really hated us uh, were there. And I had to be there because I was on staff at the church. And I remember how hurt and how scared I felt even going into the room with those people there. And in that service, I can't even remember the details, but for whatever reason, I remember very vividly. I remember exactly where I was sitting. Uh, And while whatever was going on, I found my way to Psalm 18 and I read beginning in verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my stronghold. I call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And in that moment, something began to change in me to the point, um, uh, to that point, we had met with the students and the parents trying to resolve the conflict. I'd been doing damage control with the rest of the group, trying to manage my reputation, you know, and none of it worked. So that night at the church with those people, who became enemies glowering at me. You could feel that radiating off of them. I read those verses, and, and I, I literally just right there sank to my knees, right there in church, and I finally felt safe. Not because my circumstances had changed, but something in me had shifted. Now, we, we eventually left that church after less than a year there, but for the rest of our time, it was different. It was definitely a turning point, not just for our ministry there, but for the rest of our lives, really. God went on to do work to do a work there during our nine months in ways that, that is just amazing in ways that still just blow me away now, all the way to right now. So it's a happy ending, okay? The story has a happy ending. But what I want to focus on is what made the change? Because for me, it really was this psalm. But, but what made the change? Well, I stopped trying to manage the situation in my own strength. I started to call upon the Lord. Typically, when we feel unsafe, let me personalize that. Typically, when I feel unsafe, 
I create an Excel spreadsheet. It's the best. Just warms my heart, like right here. I come up with a plan. I, uh, I figure out a way to get myself out of whatever mess I'm in. I, and I'm pretty smart, okay? I have a master's degree. I, I've got an emergency fund saved up. My family connections here in Winter Haven are pretty solid. There's probably somebody that I could call that could take care of that. I've got this. But what if, like David, the enemy is particularly strong, verse 17? What if, in fact, they are too mighty for me? Do you see how he says that there? An enemy too mighty for me, verse 17. Here's the thing. What if I'm the biggest part of the problem? What if it's my sin? What if it's my selfishness? Well, then what? Well, then there's a crippling fear and despair and a not knowing where to go. You see, in the spiritual life, self-sufficiency is never the solution. It's almost always part of the problem. Because the strength you need and the righteousness that you need and the help that you need has to come to you, not from you. And so David shows us a very different way to feel safe when you're in real danger. Verse 3, you have to learn to call upon the Lord. Look at verse 3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. And then in verse 16, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. And this is just a... um, from this is, is the echo of this very same thing in the Romans 10 passage we read, verse 13. Everyone who calls upon the Lord or calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what does it mean to call upon the Lord? Well, the Romans 10 passage, that's why we read it, is very helpful. There Paul's making the argument that salvation depends on God's work for us, not our work for God. That we are not strong enough or good enough to save ourselves. It depends entirely upon God and his power and his grace. And so to call upon the Lord is to acknowledge, I cannot save myself. My sin is too great. My flesh is too weak. God, your power and your grace alone can save a sinner like me. It's to put all of your confidence and trust in God's love and faithfulness to you in Jesus. So in Christianity, this is how salvation works. Jesus Christ lived a life of perfect obedience for me. He died upon the cross for my sins, and I trust in his person and his work for me and not in my person or in my work to save me. His record of obedience, not mine. His righteousness, not mine. His standing with the Father, not mine. This is what it means to call upon the Lord, to put all of your confidence and hope in God and not not in yourself. David's saying in the very next verse, verse 18, I have an enemy who's too great to me. Look what he goes on to say. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And that word support there in verse 18 refers to a staff or a cane, something that you carry around to keep you from falling when you're unsteady on your feet. So here's a question. What is it in your life that bears all of the weight of all of your fears and failures? David leaned on God. He learned to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, let me try to illustrate this for you. If you're a parent, you'll get this, I think. Imagine. Imagine, and you'll get this to the, the, the number of kids you have is relative to how, how well you'll get this, okay? Imagine, just imagine, I know it's far-fetched, but imagine a, enjoying a nice, quiet night at home. You're just 
enjoying your night, everything's going great. Then all of a sudden, from the other side of the house, you hear, Mom! Now, what does that immediately do to you? But what does it signal? What does that signal? There's a kid somewhere trying to do something, and they figured out they can't do it on their own. At least you hope they figured out, that, they, that, right? Hopefully it's not that they haven't even tried yet, but either they've not tried yet or they've tried and they figured out they can't do something on their own, so they're calling out to mom. Now, it happens about a thousand times a day, doesn't it? Starts to feel like fingernails on a chalkboard, doesn't it? When they're young, when they're young, you wish for the days when they would be a little more self-sufficient. Then they get older, and they don't need you quite as much, but they still need you. And the goal then is to convince them to keep calling out for mom and not to try to do it all by themselves, because that's when they get in really big trouble. My whole goal, my whole goal in parenting uh, my kids is for them to trust in my love enough, trust in my love for them enough that when they really blow it, their first thought, the first thought that comes into their head is, is not... Dad can never know about this. He's going to kill me, right? When they really blow it, when they're in really big trouble, this is my whole goal in parenting, is that the very first thought that would come into their head is, I'm in big trouble. I got to call dad. I remember when this was true for me, another, another episode in the early married life of Ashley and Drew, uh, when we were just a year after that first uh, episode I told you about, we had decided we were going to be missionaries in Spain. And uh, so we took a vision trip to Spain uh, to go see this place we were thinking about going. Uh, and uh, within 24 hours, uh, we were in the hospital. Ashley, we had just found out right before we left that Ashley was pregnant with Canaan, our oldest. And within 24 hours, she had gotten really bad food poisoning and was very, very sick. And we were in the hospital. They didn't speak English. We didn't speak Spanish. It was terrifying. We were trying to say baby, you know, like baby. We didn't know if we, we thought we were going to lose him. Uh, we ended up in this hotel room. It was, it was, it was, there was Jeopardy on TV, but it was in Spanish, so we had no idea what was going on. We had nothing to do. This is pre-cell phone, pre-all that stuff. There were, we played cards and laid and stared at the ceiling, and it was, it was this terrifying thing, and I, and I remember thinking, we have got to get out of here. I've got to get her home, make her safe. What are we going to do? And I had no money. I had no connections. I had nothing, so what did I do? I called my dad. I don't even know how much it costs. It was probably a collect call. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, and I, and I, and I remember, I don't know if you I remember, I remember I was like, get me out of here. I don't care what it costs. And he did. He did. Because that's what, that's what parents do. I really hate uh, the way our phones constantly intrude into our in-person time but you need to know if I'm with you and one of my kids calls me, and especially if I'm not expecting a call from them, I'm going to answer it every time. If they get into something that they can't get themselves out of, I'm just a call away, and I'll drop everything because that fatherly instinct that images God who hears and rescues and forgives. See, practically we're talking about prayer. To call upon the Lord is to make prayer your reflex. When you run into a really big problem, typically the first impulse is not... To pray, it's typically something like, okay, how am I going to fix, fix this? But instead, what we're learning from David here, that the, when you run into a really big problem, your first impulse should be to pray because it is God's power, it is God's heart, it's God's work that saves. But notice too, 
before we move on. David doesn't sing, God is a rock, a fortress, a stronghold, and so forth. What does he say there in verses 1 and 2? Look at what he says. He says, God is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Everything is personal. It's so personal. It's not theoretical. And there's a difference between saying, Jesus died for the sins of the world, and saying, Jesus died for my sins. God is personal to David. And that personal relationship with God was his strength. He learned to call upon the name of the Lord. But secondly, the second thing that characterizes a person who knows that they're safe with God despite facing real danger is they call upon the Lord because they believe the truth about God despite their fear. So what is it that you need to know about God that makes you feel safe? What do you have to believe? And I use those words as synonyms, by the way. In the Bible, knowing, as Jonathan already said, is relational. To know someone means you know them intimately. You can anticipate their reactions and so forth and so psalm 4 says this in peace i will both lie down and sleep for you alone O lord make me dwell in safety what do you have to know about god to feel safe like that well ironically here's the thing in order to feel safe like that the thing you got to know about god is that he's not safe god is not safe but you are safe with him because he's good that's, of course, the famous line about Aslan the lion in the Narnia books. Mrs. Mrs. Beaver says to Susan, I think, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or they're, or they're just plain silly. He is not safe, but he is good. Now, let's unpack that. See, in, times, in the times he faced real danger, David called upon God because he knew he wasn't safe. So let's pick up in verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cry reached his ears. And then it happened. Let's go on to verse 7. Then the earth reeled and rocked, and the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. In other words, David is describing the way that God came down riding on the wind, and there was darkness and smoke and fire, and it says clouds with water, so it was a Florida thunderstorm like we've been having the last few weeks with lightning and hail. That happened to me the other day. Did anybody else get caught in that the other day? I was right here on Thursday, right at this stoplight, right here trying to get out of my, coming out of my house. I was stopped there, and there was this truck with a trailer trying to turn left on Dundee Road. I'm like, oh my, you know, like, which is impossible right now. And my car's getting pounded by hail, and I'm sitting behind this truck. He's just standing there, kind of like, you know, like, I'll get out of here eventually. And I thought about, like, pulling around him and pulling to the right. And people were pulling into the church parking lot and trying to get underneath the portico here and underneath the, you know, the trees and everything because it's, it's terrifying. When God comes, that's what it's like. Because he is not safe. In response to David's prayer, he rose from his throne and he mounted the wind and he rode down to the earth to fight against David's enemies and to rescue him. And this is not some kind of apocalyptic event. This is a Thursday afternoon. The commentators say there are allusions to the Exodus. God rescuing Egypt from slavery in Egypt and the Red Sea passage. You see the imagery there in verse 15. And also Exodus 19 is the people gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai and God came down and the mountain shook and it caught fire and there was darkness. But it is also a description of how God comes and answers to your prayers. Listen to Spurgeon. He said, observe how the most solid and immovable things feel the force of supplication. That is a great sentence. Listen to it again. He says, observe how the most solid and immovable things feel the force of supplications. Prayer has shaken houses, 
open prison doors and melted hard hearts. Prayer rings the alarm bell and the master arises, shaking all things beneath his tread. When you find yourself in real danger and you call out to God, he, it says verse 16, he reaches down and draws you up out of the waters, rescuing you from strong enemies. He rolls up his sleeves and he comes down to do battle. And when he comes, the mountains melt like wax before him and the earth reels and it rocks. There may be dangers that you encounter that are too mighty for you, but there is nothing, nothing that is too great for God. We're all facing big things. Things too big for us. But nothing is bigger than God. And that's the lesson. As he looked back, that David had learned that indeed God was not safe. But, but he knew, even though he knew that God was not safe, he knew that God was good. And that was the second part of the lesson. Because he is good, the evil that befalls his people infuriates him. These are images of wrath and judgment. Look at verse 7 again. David explicitly says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord, my cries reached his ears, and then the earth reeled and rocked, and the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. In other words, God does not sit impassively by when you are facing real danger, and that is good news if you're facing real danger. He gets angry, and why is he so angry? And this is where we have to clear some things up because there are a lot of people less familiar with the biblical text that see God as petty and vengeful, and they have a really hard time with this, with this idea that they think he gets his kick out of condemning people to hell. And maybe you've heard something like that, or maybe you've thought that. But we have to submit ourselves to the text here, and David is explicit again. He says God was angry, but he also shows us why God was angry. In verse 19, it says he was angry, he came down, the earth began to rock and to reel and all of these things, and he rescued me. Look at verse 19, because he delighted in me. That's awesome. Why was God so angry? Why all the smoke and the fire and the lightning and the hail? He was angry because he loved David. God's anger is an expression of his love. That's what you have to believe, that this great God is a good God. There's so much here, I'm struggling to figure out how to say it all. There's really not time to do it, but there's one phrase that I want to draw your attention to because it is so beautiful, at least to me. It's what just captured my heart as I read this and as I prepared, but this great God is a good God. And, and look all the way down to verse 35. I don't want you to miss this, where David is reflecting on all the things he knows to be true of God. But here's, here's what he said was like in David's mind of all the things that were true of God, here was the thing that was the most beautifully true, the most, the most true. He says, it's your gentleness, O Lord, verse 35. It's your gentleness that made me great. Isn't that awesome? David looked back over his whole life. He thought about all the times God had come with incredible displays of power and strength and overthrowing his enemies, but he said, it was the way God was gentle with me that made the biggest difference. I love that so much. Gentleness is what makes people great. That resonates so deeply with me. So if you're a parent, your gentleness is what's going to make your kids great. If you're a, if you're a chaperone going on the trip with the youth group, you know, it's, it is your gentleness and your kindness with those teenagers that is going to call out greatness in them. Gentleness is what makes people great. This great God, this God of smoke and fire and thunder and hail 
there was one time when he actually when he actually came down and took on human flesh and blood and listen to how Jesus Christ described himself he said in Matthew chapter 11 I am gentle and lowly in heart and for all of the power and all of the miracles it was the gentleness of Jesus that most changed the people who met him he did not suffer I mean, excuse me, he did not save through power, but through weakness, through his own suffering and death. As Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, you know, the darkness came down. The earth, it rocked and reeled as he breathed his last breath. The judgment of God came down. But here's what the gospel teaches us. The judgment of God came down, but on him and not us. Jesus offered himself as a substitute for our sins. And you want to see the fierce wrath of God against sin and evil? Look to the cross. You want to see the fierce love of God on display? Look at the cross. God is not safe, but you can look at the cross and you can say, he's not safe, but I know he's good. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then you are safe with him because Jesus took your condemnation upon himself so that you might know what David knew here, the sheer joy of being delighted in by God. And that's the truth you have to believe. See, that's the truth. To feel safe despite facing real danger. You have to know, you have to be convinced that God is inexhaustibly great. But at the same time, he's inexhaustibly good. He is the biggest and he's on your team. Right? He's Michael Jordan in a pickup game of five on five at the rec center downtown. He's Shaq playing against a bunch of kindergartners. And you got him on your team. And that's what leads to verse 30, which is the linchpin of the whole thing, where, where David says, this is what he, this is the bedrock of everything David believed. He said, this God, this God, the one I'm describing for you here, this God, his way is perfect. This God who is inexhaustibly great, so has all of the power he needs to do whatever he desires and is inexhaustibly good at the same time. This God, his way is perfect. God is big enough to do whatever he wants and he's good enough to always do the best thing. Let me say that again. He is big enough to do whatever he wants and he's good enough to always do the best thing. And if you believe that, and you can believe that because of what you see in Jesus, if you believe it, and then you take yourself in hand and you remind yourself of the truth and you argue against your fear when you feel most afraid and you look at your enemies and you say, yeah, but God, and you start to look at him, then you can learn how to live less afraid because what you know of God acts like a shield. That, but that's not even right. God himself, as you know him, becomes a shield and a refuge and a fortress and a stronghold. All of those images, they, it's, they describe things that keep the fear out that protect you from the thing that is so fearful. The ground beneath you might be shaky, but God is a rock, and your believing keeps you steady. Verse 31, who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? But third, because the third thing that characterizes a person who knows that they're safe with God despite facing real danger, they, 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 um, they call upon the Lord, because they believe the truth about God and despite, despite their fear, and as a result, they go through life. They leap by God through life without fear. So listen to all the language. We're about done here. Verse 29, he says, For you, by you, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. But there's other verses. Verse 33, it says, He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. Verse 36, 
you gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. Now putting all of that together, David is describing for us a person who feels completely safe, so much so that they're not afraid to take risks. They run toward trouble. They run toward the danger that's coming for them. They don't cower. They don't walk cautiously through life worried that the tiniest misstep is going to send them tumbling over a cliff to their inevitable demise. They're like the mountain deer that leap from the rocks, from rock to rock, thousands of feet above, you know, the ground without a care in the world. We can live like that too. So one more story. We go uh, to North Carolina every fall. Uh, to Boone, Banner Elk area. And one of our favorite things to do is to hike the Grandfather Trail, which starts at the parking lot at Grandfather Mountain at the top there, out to Callaway Peak. And it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. It's There's ropes and ladders and 360 views. Uh, and it's become kind of a rite of passage for our, the kids in our family because it's kind of dangerous. In fact, I, I, in this past year, uh, in 2022, we were there the second week of October. And the third week of October, a man fell and died from that hike we were on. So... Um, just a few days after we did it. So we don't take the kids until they're old enough, uh, but, we, but we eventually, in, you know, as a rite of passage. So, but there are a few places on that hike that are really, really scary, and it's easy to just freeze. And I'm a little afraid of heights. Actually, I'm, I'm afraid of plummeting to my death. That's what I'm really afraid of. But so <laughs> we're on the hike recently, and, and I, I got to the place where I just kind of like Froze, and I was so crippled by fear that I, I couldn't, couldn't really move because you have to kind of swing out and literally, I mean, you can, you can see, you know, like right like two feet that way straight down. And I, I just got a little overwhelmed and kind of got stuck there. My kids, they're flying through all the most dangerous parts being, being dummies and I'm getting on to them. And uh, because they're not taking it seriously enough and they're not being careful. So I'm screaming at them and they're laughing hysterically at me. I mean, it's, you know, family vacation. It's what you would expect. You know, Ashley and I are, be careful. And they're like, stop being so, you know, parental. Um, and, there's, and just as an aside, there's a reason why kids can be so dumb and parents are so cautious. Kids can be so dumb because they have parents. Right? So, but it's a, picture of, it's a picture of two very different ways of, of doing life. Life is full of scary parts. It's full of those scary parts where there's, re- I mean, real danger, not perceived danger, real danger. And it's easy to get so overwhelmed by fear that you just freeze. David, though, David learned to leap through it all. Now, it should, be, it should also be said, it wasn't always like this. When my kids were young, they were far less adventurous. In fact, it became obvious to me at some point along the way, that uh, they were far more willing to climb waterfalls and jump off high rocks into swimming holes as long as I was there with them. Without me, they wouldn't do it. But if I jumped off the high rock first into the water, then they would jump because they knew that they would be okay. If I was there to catch them, they would leap. They had far more courage with me than they did without me, so much so that now they laugh at me for being the cautious one while they do dumb things on the top of Grandfather Mountain, right? And that's the lesson. David looked back on his life and he saw that it was the story of learning to find the strength in God to be unafraid and thus to leap through life because God was with him. And really, David's look back was a reflection on how to live with the fear of the Lord. 
And he wrote this song to help you and I fear the Lord too in such a way that it takes away all the other fear. When the Bible describes the fear of the Lord, it refers to being so utterly overwhelmed, so utterly overwhelmed by the greatness and the goodness of God that everything else, even the really scary stuff, seems small in comparison. And so I asked you a question at the beginning. What makes you feel safe? Let me turn that around. Let me ask it this way as we close. What makes you tremble? Michael Reeves wrote this. He said, overwhelmed by all that God is, the faithful tremble. What makes you tremble? Do you tremble at the scary stuff that you're having to go through in life? Or do you tremble most at the greatness and the goodness of God? Because the one who trembles at the Lord is the one who ironically finds their feet to leap through the high places without fear. Listen to the hymn writer who put it like this. He said, this godly fear is the spirit of faith, a confidence that's strong, an unctuous light to all that's right, a bar to all that's wrong. It gives religion life to warm as well as light, makes mercy sweet, salvation great, and all God's judgments right. Amen. Would you pray with me? So, Father, would you come now as we finish out this service together, and would you cause us to properly fear you as we should, knowing that when we fear you, we fear nothing else. Our lives are full of all kinds of anxious fears, as we sang a few minutes ago, but it is because we have been calling out to things that do not save We have been calling out to things that at the end of the day are powerless to provide us with the comfort and the support that we need. And so we feel our own vulnerability in the midst of giving our hearts to worthless idols. Would you turn us to yourself? And would you make yourself known to us as a rock and a refuge, a shield, a horn of salvation, a stronghold that we might learn to call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised in our sin that we would call upon you for the righteousness that we need, in our fear that we would call upon you for the peace that we need, in the danger that we face that we would call upon you for the strength that we need. And so be saved from our enemies, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Won't that be a great day? Until then, what you have to do, go back uh, and, and think about the songs we sung this morning. So many of them have been songs where the person singing is addressing their own heart. And that is the tr- that's what we're trying to learn in this series, learning how to address our own souls. Why, oh my soul, are you downcast, right? Talk to your own heart. Stop listening to your heart and talk to your heart with the truth of the gospel. And talk to your heart with the truth of these words, that if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God sends you not to say, go prove yourself and then we'll see how it goes at the end. God sends you saying, here at the beginning, as I send you, you have the promise of my blessing and my favor and my face resting upon you because of all that Jesus Christ has done. And so receive this word of benediction and then use it to talk to your heart throughout this week as you, as you talk yourself into the kind of leaping that David uh, did throughout his life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.